0: Hello and welcome to episode three of Sound Advice, Get Year One in Business Right, brought to you by Sage. I'm your host, Bex Burn calendar and I'm back bringing you real stories from some of the UK's most brilliant entrepreneurs. Sound Advice is all about finding those practical tips that you can take away and use to grow your business. We want to be there for you to help you through challenging times and give you a little lift when a problem seems too big to solve on your own. So don't forget, we will be posting the show notes and all sorts of other useful advice over at sage.com slash podcast. And you can share your own startup advice or send us your questions via Twitter at Sage UK using the hashtag sound advice podcast. But enough from me. It's time to introduce this week's incredible guest. I'm absolutely over the moon. that Alec Dobby is here with us today. He is the co-founder of Fanfinders a performance marketing and consumer intelligence company. When Alec became a dad for the second time, he was bombarded with ads for all kinds of products and felt overwhelmed. So he created Your Baby Club in 2012, which curates content from top baby companies, cutting out the spam and the noise. Alec, welcome.
1: Hello, all good, I like it.
0: (laughs) Thanks so much for coming. So I've just given a little preview of what prompted you to start your business. But do you mind telling us a little bit more about that journey? What were you doing before? How did you make it happen? Yeah,
1: um, for the previous sort of 15 years or so, I was a a professional software guy. I uh, I, I worked as a contractor, you know, working for big companies doing short term contracts, but writing, writing code, writing websites when they appeared. Uh, And the, the idea for a business, the business came about when in between child number one and child number two being born, when I noticed kind of, Kind of what was happening with uh, to, to my wife and mine uh, my, our email accounts. We're getting an awful lot of email from an awful lot of people. We were getting sent a lot of gifts through the post, you know, um, little teddy bears and samples of things and, and discounts and stuff. And it looked, and, and I looked at the space with like a technical head on and thought, there's there's like a better way than it's being done now, but. Both from a business perspective and from a, a technical perspective, it seemed that there was disjointed. There was a lot of like a like a 1950s feel to it. Like it hadn't quite caught up with caught up with the digital age. And we thought we could do a better job. So myself, uh, myself, and w- one of my founders, Raf, is a creative guy. Uh, we set up to create our like our, our first website. We thought can we can we do this. Will it work? Can we can we put something together which um, will attract consumers? Because if we attract consumers, we figured there was like a, there'd be a business for brands behind that. Um, so we put the the first site live in oh, probably late 2012, early 2013, and then we realised quite quickly that we were quite good at doing the website stuff because we'd done this for ages, um, but we were we were less good at all the other bits. It turns out I can't sell for toffee. So uh, so we, we we put a few brands on there. We got a few things that were easy, like off-the-shelf things that are available to anyone. Um, we did a few like Google ads to kind of drive drive people to the site to see if we to see if it would work, and it and it did it, in the main state did work. Our numbers were really small, you know, we attracted a few hundred people, but it sort of showed us that there was a um, there was a business there, and we could we, we could do something with it. From from then we went on to try and fix those gaps that we'd identified in what we could do, I, I, in that in that we had like the creative stuff and the technical stuff covered. But we didn't have any experience really. Um I used to sell double glazing years ago, but bar that, in actually selling things to to brands and, and knocking on the doors of huge huge FMCG companies and saying do you want to come and work with our our, our, our little side hustly startup? And so we, we went out and we we, we attracted a, a brilliant marketeer and a brilliant sales guys who are who are now my co founders to join us.
0: Wait, 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 wait. I have to stop you there. You attracted a brilliant marketeer. How did you do that? Because you were still such a brand new company. I'm sure anyone that's listening that's going to start, has started or is going to start a business wants to know how you get that kind of talent so early on. Yeah,
1: part of it is... That we had like a tech stack we'd written, so we'd done we done a big chunk of work towards it. So we could say to these people, look, we're already we're, we're, this isn't a, a nascent business that has no nothing behind it. This is this is more than that. This is more involved than that. We've built some interesting things. And we've got something that looks like it can do it. So for the, for those guys, it, it was quite plug and play in some ways. You know, for, you know, so they could see they could see what we were doing and they could see quite easily how their how their talent would fit into this. And how they would be able to add how their skills would be additive. So it wasn't and it wasn't it wasn't straightforward. There was lots of conversations. It took a, a, a long time to do to get to them get them to the table. But we did. And then it was because um, uh, it was a case of uh, like sharing. These guys are our co-founders. We weren't you know without without them you know looking back several seven years later there'd be no business. You know we would just have had a website with, no, with, with no, no 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 money coming into it and no consumers coming into it and it would have it wouldn't be here.
0: And how did you find them? Because am I right in thinking you didn't actually meet these people in the early days and you managed to kind of track them down all online? How did you manage that process?
1: Yeah, um, taking taking those few questions there. I mean, firstly, we, we met via different routes. We uh, our, our sales guy I met on a car forum, actually. Uh, somebody uh, I was asking a question and somebody said, actually, it's this guy who, who, who kind of knows about this stuff. So we got talking and that, that's kind of how one thing led to that. And the other we put, I think we put an advert out saying we were looking for a co-founder for for marketing, and we got a bunch of people from you know, a huge amount applying, lots lots without um, w- without the relevant skills. We got we got an interesting inter- interesting collection of people, but not not lots who could actually do it. And Neil Neil, our marketing co-founder, he he he'd done he'd done vaguely similar stuff like marketing online before, and he actually had practical skills and was looking to work in something like this. Uh, Get, getting on to your second question about how we met well w- when you start a business you don't have you, you don't, unless you've, been, you've got a huge amount of investment you don't have lots of money so we didn't meet we did lots of uh, lots of Skype calls and lots of uh, you know there wasn't there wasn't the tools there are now there wasn't the slacks and things so we would use Skype calls and we'd meet and we'd, we'd talk a lot online uh, I think it was two years before the first the five the first five of us had met altogether we'd met I'd met individually most people but not everyone had met because we were just saving money uh, hotels and airfare and, and 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 trains and everything were expensive when you when you're trying to set up a business and the money can be better spent better spent on other things in the business rather than on moving you around and feeding you and things
0: and how tricky was it to do things like you know business planning when you're all kind of in different places, did you just get really good at meeting agendas for your Skype calls, or how did you make sure you always kept momentum going when you don't have that sort of face-to-face bumping into each other sort of environment?
1: Well, it, it was just to start with, it was even trickier than that because we weren't all working full time on the business, as well as having those issues of not no water cooler moments just to discuss things. There wasn't there wasn't the um, the, the ability the, the ability for us all to talk at the same time. Uh, like I, I, was doing, I was doing the coding stuff to start with and I was doing that in the evenings and weekends Around a full-time job Because uh, I had a kids and a mortgage And that doesn't go away Just because you've set up a business uh, uh, So we, we got good at we got good at scheduling our time And making sure we were using our time And not wasting things It meant we had to be very specific With what we were doing How we were spending money How we were spending time To make sure we were spending it in the correct way
0: and we, we hear a lot in two thousand and twenty about the rise of the side hustle and then this is a classic side hustle story, but I think what 's not always clear is when when does a business owner take the take the leap from the side hustle to the main hustle when did you when did you decide to quit your job and what was there a particular moment or kind of eureka moment that made you decide to do it then and there? It,
1: it was largely driven by numbers uh, we the the, peop- the other people involved we we, we effectively did it in in the ability for them to work nine to five, like um, sales and marketing people need to work more nine to five than uh, than I did as a, a, a code, the code guy. So I I think I, I came on full time last um, because because I could do it around work and it, and it still work. Uh, and it just came down to finances because we, we we bootstrapped. We've never raised any money. So it was when we could afford to do this and when it made sense for the business to do this. And uh, and there's questions about how because we all paid ourselves less than we were on before. Um, what 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 can I, how can I survive? What's the smallest amount I can survive on? Um, and I think it's one of those things, you read business books saying you should set up a business in your 20s, when you've no, you've no commitments. Uh, and you can live on, you, you can rent the cheapest bed set in the world and live on noodles. Uh, and, and, and that's all good in your early 20s. But when you're in your early 30s with kids, you can't, you can't expect them to be doing the same thing. So it makes it, it just makes it a trickier thing financially. So we were driven, we were driven to that thing by what we could afford to do.
0: And how long did it take? I mean, were you saving on the side for a long time? How much did you kind of want to have as backup income savings before you took a chance? Yeah, I,
1: I did have a small amount of savings. We were putting it in, but a couple of months effectively. You know, so I had a couple of months, a couple of months runway. Um, but that was uh, as a contractor previously. It wasn't an un, a strange situation because I was used to moving from like job to job every, you know, three or six months. So it was, it was perhaps less scary for me than it would have been somebody else who was, uh, who, who, who was more used. To, if you've been in permanent work for ten years, it's probably a, you, you know, it's probably a, a trickier thing for your mindset to do than if you're used to more, more flexible working. And
0: obviously you did this as your job, you're a web developer, you know about code. Did you th- do you think that it would have been possible to start this kind of business if you hadn't been so technical? Did that, was that the cornerstone of your, your differentiator? Uh,
1: no, I, 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 think, I think you could have done it a, a different way, but at the time you'd have had to have somebody technical on board to do it. You know, you needed to be, you, you'd have had to have a technical person to get, get to where we are. And it's, um, for, for us, for FanFinders as a business now, it's a huge differentiator because we're we're a tech business first that does marketing rather than a marketing business that sort of use somebody else's tech to get there, which means we can we can alter our course and we'd be more flexible about where we're going and we can use and right now we're doing exciting stuff with AI and machine learning and things that that you couldn't do if you weren't there but going back to your question, I think if you were doing it now there's a whole load of solutions you could use that wouldn't mean you'd have there's a whole load of no code things out there that you I think you could use to to at least get to uh, you know, the first year or something to get like an MVP out to get to get to that point that you can actually prove there's something there before you'd need to start, you know, properly coding it. Um, but that wasn't that, that, that wasn't a thing. You know, when we started, you know, when we, when we cut the first code in sort of 2012, that you couldn't. There wasn't a quicker solution than doing that. So back then you needed a coder, but you didn't need to be the coder. You could have found somebody else.
0: For any Luddites out there, um, MVP means minimum viable product. Just going to spell that out in case anyone's not, not, not techie. Um, and I was fascinated, Alec, when you were talking before about how you you brought in talent, but you didn't just you didn't have the money to pay them, so you made them co-founders. Does that mean did you make them equal partners? Was it difficult to give up
1: equity? Yeah, no, no. I, I I never saw. I mean, they're all they're all equity partners with me. Um, I I don't think I, I never saw it as a tricky thing personally. It's it it's much better. The saying isn't there, It's much better to have to have a. a a portion a smaller portion of a big pie that's actually somewhere than all of or all, all of nothing um and we would have without those guys we would have been all of nothing um so it, I, I have no, no no qualms or questions about it i think people are people are sometimes selfish in these things that they you know they, they think i should have this huge huge share of it um but you end up that's not beneficial and also you get if you've got five brains on something you can come up with a better thing than one brain usually you know it's, it'd be nice to think we're all Mark Zuckerberg but we're not you know we are, we're not all that that visionary that visionary guy we need we need other people looking at things and other people's uh, inputs and thoughts.
0: And tell me where the business is today how big is your baby club uh, what are the metrics of success that you measure?
1: We've signed up over 5 million parents between here and the US we, we we create uh, d- different data points where we link consumers to brands they do, and we do millions of them, millions of them a week. We're twenty-eight people. Uh, split between mostly here in the UK, but we've got some in the States as well now. Uh, and we're we're looking further to more expansion into you know in the next few years. We're going to be pushing more into the US. We're taking we've we've made that jump over the pond, and we're pushing more there now. Tricky as it is,
0: five million customers and only twenty eight staff. That actually boggles my mind. That's just that's just crazy. That just shows you the reach of a digital business and how lean you can be. That's incredible.
1: Yeah, lo- lots of lots of what we do is virtual. You Know so it's you know, you don't t- we don't touch things, there's nothing physical to touch. Yeah, you know, I imagine trying to do this 20 years ago would have need you know, five or ten times more people or something, it'd be much trickier, it wouldn't be been anywhere near as a, a, as doable.
0: And I've got to ask, although I know that it can feel a bit like revealing the secret sauce, but how did you win that many customers? What were your digital marketing tactics? Um, how, and how did you get them to stick around? That's just the holy grail.
1: It's about having. Having like a thorough approach, you've got to be clear and concise. You've got to you, you've got to get the, the fundamentals right in in what you're doing from like a, like a website perspective. You've got to you've got to have clear clear information. You've got to have nice titles. You've got to have really good imagery. You've got to be uh, as clear as you can be so the consumer understands what they're doing without it being too. If if something's too complex, people stop doing it. Um, but at the same time, things have a an inbuilt need for some complexity. You know, if you're selling something, you have to you have to take people's credit card details, but you want to make Make that as easy as possible. And in what we're doing, we sometimes have to collect pieces of data from people. You know, like when's your child born, so we can service those things properly. And in doing that, you've got to be as clear and upfront with the consumer as possible. And that, and that goes through all of your marketing. You know, from your you email to the stuff that you might do like um, your Facebook or Google ads, or to you know things when you're doing outreach with uh, influencers. Um, it's about clear, clear, concise. Um, clear flows going from here to here to here so you've got uh, you've got an advert that's going somewhere that links to the advert that so everything so there's no there's no break in the chain for the consumer uh, and it's about having for us it's about having working with really good brands so it gives it gives that everything has a a feel of quality you know so you're working with big well-known brands then the consumer thinks that's great if you're working with less well-known ones it's probably trickier to get that that feel when you're going for a scale business like ours we sign up it's something like sixty-six percent of all mums in the UK, um, uh, and if you're going to do that, you have to you have to have dotted your I's and crossed your t's. You can't be you can't be flashing the pan and a bit, you know, a, a bit rubbishy about what you do. Though it's easy for me to say that now, seven years on, but we weren't. We were probably, you know, if I was to go back in time, there probably be things would change and would look at things in a slightly different way, because because you learn as you you get better, you know, and. And lots of it. If you look at like the design side of this the site, it's it's kind of got cleaner over those periods. There's less big pictures. There's less. There's as we used to, our logo for the baby club used to be a picture of a baby. Now it's the words your baby club because it's just easier for consumer to see. There's less. There's less interference when somebody's doing it. It's like um, it's the a- application of science in in design.
0: And did you do lots of different tests to see what works? Because presumably anyone that's listening, their business is going to pro- probably be radically different to yours. So what's the process that you follow when you tried? I don't know. You mentioned Facebook ads. Like, w- w- do you kind of run A, B, C tests? We,
1: we do. Um, I, I think if you're if, if you're starting from scratch doing this, you want to. There's a whole range of things you'd want to do. Um, one of them is maybe not doing them yourself you know possibly do them possibly get a an agency to do them if you do get an agency to do them make sure it's not the people that did your website go get a specialist who does this specific thing for us for for us we test lots i mean we run we run quite a lot of adverts and we we're constantly testing what works better um we found some things with images a good image can can make your ad four times better than a bad image um, and and goods are very uh, it's a very nuanced term because Good doesn't necessarily mean the best designed thing. People sometimes the slightly more homemade, agency feels things sometimes work better than the entirely polished, uh, the, the entirely polished Coca-Cola style style advert. Because because we're talking to people here, and we're not a big brand, and people don't know who we are. I mean, we we might have market penetration uh, in in the UK but we don't but we're not we're not next we're not you know we're not one of those brands that's a household name so we have to we, our, our advertising has to take that into account and it would for I think anyone listening that their their advertising has to be about about them and where they are not and they shouldn't be they shouldn't be trying to copy the big boys because it's not going to work for them.
0: But also you're you're different. So the whole point is that you're not all about the hard sell. A lot of parents are coming to you because they want to get away from that kind of glitzy ad in your face. You can only be a good parent if you buy this product. So it's kind of you want that more homemade. This is curated for you. I'm a parent to vibe.
1: Yeah, ab- absolutely. Um, and it's got to be it's got to feel it's got to feel personal as much as possible. I mean, there's nothing more personal than your children. So we've got to we, we've got to feel that, um, that that we care as much as as much as they do. I
0: know that I've been pushing you for advice on digital marketing, but it also sounds like you you don't have to try that hard if your product is right, because it you know, you started the business because you saw this gap in the market. And then no, that... I'm not
1: sure I'd entirely agree. I think you do. I think that's, that. I think that's, again, one of those things with you, know, you kind of you lose yourself in time, that it's, it's easy to say now that it works, but that, that wasn't the case then.
0: Oh yeah, just to get people to know who you are in the first place. If they don't know you're
1: there, they can't love you, right? It, it's tricky to get right. You've got to test. You've got to throw a lot of stuff at the wall to get some things to stick. You know, you're going to have to test a, a, a large amount and, and sometimes it's not going to work. I, I, I think one thing you've got, to, you've got to, when you're doing this, there's an, there's an opportunity when you're setting up a new business that it doesn't work or that advertising channel doesn't work. Um, and I think I, I see people sometimes try too hard Because they've created, especially they've invented something that they think should work. Uh, And sometimes, sometimes it's not going to work. Sometimes, sometimes it's, um, or it's not going to work in this channel. You know, the way you're wanting to sell it isn't going to, isn't going to work. But there is another way it will work. It's just, it's just testing things and working out which are, which are the good things and which are the bad things for you.
0: I'd love to hear some of the mistakes that stand out in your mind that you made along the way, but you learned a lot from? Because often when you speak to successful entrepreneurs, it can seem like the journey didn't have a single bump in the road, but but there always are. What was the, is there one mistake that stands out in your mind as that was tough at the time, but we came out a more resilient business as a result?
1: I, I, I think one, one of the bigger things was, it was for me personally, was um, try, trying to work out what what we should put in the product and what we shouldn't put in the product. Because you want to tick every box on the list, you know, you've got you've got a hundred things, and you want all hundred. When in reality, there's going to be like three out of there that are going to move the needle completely more than everything else. And it's how to do it. And for me, it was listening to my my co-founders, and I think I found it hard as a technical person to interpret their needs into the thing. So it's how how do you take how do you take the the ideas of the business and make them into make them into a technical product? Um, and how do you listen to the right people? And I don't think I was that good at listening when I started. I think. I think I've got better at listening. It's just, I think for me, it's a skill that I needed to learn because I used to be boxed off in a little room tapping away on the keyboard and, and I wasn't doing that anymore. We, we were running a business together and we needed to work out. So it's about, a, a lot of my journey has been about um, learning, and, uh, learning and listening and working with people and finding the right people and when you've got the right people, listening to them and not, and not treating, not, not treating, uh, like now we have staff, we try and treat all, all our staff like adults. We expect them to behave like adults, but that, that means you listen to them you get the right people and you let them do their job.
0: How do you do that listening? Do you do sort of structured one-to-ones? Do you just have a very open door policy? How do you make sure that you get those insights?
1: we do both those things actually we have we'll have one-to-ones with our, our relevant managers so I, I have people reporting to me we have one-to-ones and we have an open door policy where anyone can talk to anyone i'm not a massive fans of super hierarchies so anyone anyone who works works in fan finders can give me a bell we have a couple of non-execs and they they help mentor some of the junior staff and some of our junior staff are doing uh are doing mentoring with outside organizations to help them too because i think we you, you never stop learning um and we want to continue our journey together to try and make this thing better. Uh, and, and that means that we, we need to allow everyone to do that.
0: And do you have a mentor? You mentioned mentoring from outside organisations, but is that something that, I don't know, you, you manage to find time for?
1: I have a mentor. Mentors are really useful, but I don't think you have one mentor forever. I think you have mentors for periods of time and, and you work with some people who give you great advice and then you, you move on as you grow. Um, because some of, it's not, some of it's not business. You know, some of it's about business, but a lot of it's about people. And it's about how you, how, how you for, for someone like me, who hasn't, I, I'm, I'm wet behind the ears. I've never done this before. So how do I, how do I get better at this? My questions for the mentors I've worked with are often people-based. How, how do we manage this situation or that situation rather than where do we steer the business? Because the steering of the business is done by the board who, you know that's the effectively our founders. And we, uh, we have a conversation together. We, we have an idea of where we're going. So we, we can do that together. But the, how, how you manage the, the personal relationships and things is, is well, for me, my mentorship's been fantastic.
0: That's so interesting, actually, because I was speaking to a different founder recently and they have always, he's always struggled to find business mentors because he feels really confident in how he runs his business. But now he's being mentored by Kevin Keegan, you know, the old football manager, and he loves it because it's a perspective that's completely yeah. different yeah. to his day-to-day experience. And suddenly it's like, bam, that, that works.
1: It's I, I I listen to lots of when I walk my dog, listen to lots of audio books, um, and often biographies. And it's not always the, the business ones that I find the best. You know, it's it's listening to somebody's life, uh, and it, and you're, you're listening to somebody else's story of the life. I think actually that bit there is really useful, and I can I, I can I can pinch a bit from this tennis player's. This tennis players biography about how I can apply it to how I can apply it to my business
0: is that is that quite a big tip then for for founders to make sure that they they read and they get as much different kind of content swimming around the gray cells as possible yeah, yeah
1: I, 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 I listen to lots of podcasts I I, I, I listen to lots of audio books I read no one knows it all um and we can all we, we can all take steps to improve ourselves and I think it's really important it's uh it's it's those things that I think I don't think I'd done when I was younger uh like i i exercise regularly uh i try and meditate I, I i try and read you know i try and do these things that i think are going to make me a better me and and in turn me being a better me helps the business we we give our, our all our staff headspace accounts if they want them so they can you know we're trying to we're trying to support people and order audible accounts so they we can all listen to books and they can all do this because we want um and buy them books so we want everybody to to try and make themselves better if they can, because I think it's you know the, the healthy mind, the healthy body.
0: There's a lot in the press about how running your own business has has many rewards, but it can be so stressful. And there there's periods of such high intensity, and it's a lot of responsibility. Even if you have co-founders like you, it's still it's still a lot on your shoulders. Do you feel like the kind of meditation stuff helps you keep an even keel?
1: Yeah, I think it does. It's um it can be a bit of a lonely road sometimes. You always, I, I see myself as responsible for everyone's mortgage who works for me um and that's and that's a, that's a chunky responsibility to to have uh so i i think you need to do these things it's for for me meditation's good but it's the gym you know just i can go i can go and it's just me and lifting some weights and things and it's a it's a simple it's a simple process but it just takes me out of takes me out of the day-to-day and allows me to concentrate on something else that i find i find really good and it's one of the things i found hardest in lockdown when it was shut because i'm used to transporting myself somewhere doing something and then coming home and and I do it I'm one of those awful early morning people and so I'm, I'm, I'm at the gym I was at the gym six, 6 o'clock this morning and it gives me structure for my day I've done this and everything else sort of falls into line better after it so without it, I found it really tricky, and I think I found it mentally quite tricky.
0: That's absolutely great advice. Um, you mentioned earlier that you have um, you've ha- you've got people who've joined the club from the states, and I remember from from years writing about British businesses trying to break the states, that it was always called the graveyard for British firms. How have you found going into the US? How different is it, and what have you learned?
1: I I, I see why people say that. We, we, we've not found that, but we did. We were very um sort of touchy-feely with what we were doing there we we, we were you know we tried we put in a, a toe there because I mean you can now like you were saying earlier with, with a business that's based on the web you don't you don't need to be there we don't we didn't need to send an office up there we could set up a website there and put some some computer stuff there that we can do without touching anything and then we can do adverts there and get people to come to our website so we can sort of test it and see if it goes um I think I think that the lessons are don't just because in America, they speak the same language as us. Don't don't treat them as culturally the same because it's not it's not the, Americans aren't the same as Brits in how they take things. So you've got to you can't just translate things for language. You can't just spell colour to colour. You you've got to you've got to be much more in depth than that. You've got to understand when you're writing. Like we have a lot of content now. We've got an in we've got I think 60, 60 bloggers in the UK and a similar sort of number in the states. And we were trying to work out if we can just transpose one to the other, and it's not that straightforward. Because what, what, what's acceptable what's acceptable to talk about in pregnancy here isn't acceptable in the states and they have different uh, and legislation aside, there's lots of just different different nuance in the detail on how that works. Um, so I think you've got you've got take a, like a holistic view of going to America. You can't just say, i'll take my english language thing here and put it there and it'll work fine because it won't you've got to you've got to put more more effort into it there and find some find some people to to, to help you do it some 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 people who are from from america and don't expect you can do it because you can't unless you, you happen to have lived there or something
0: but presumably i mean the size of this, the the america market that could overtake the uk business right i mean what what's what's the scale of the opportunity for you
1: uh, what well, in terms of in terms of parents would sign up? Uh, we, we we sign up in, like I say in the UK, something like thirty five thousand mums a month, and it is. And when I say mums, it's it's ninety five percent mums that sign up for our service, not dads, uh, which is interesting. We've tried to target dads because I'm uh, quite passionate about that. But in the states, it could be four times that. There's, there's four times there's four times the populace, so it's uh, it, in theory at least it's four times the business opportunity. So the, the the states will definitely be a bigger business than the UK for us. Um, but it's the same, like I was saying earlier about us being a tech company because we build the tech ourselves. We, we can build it, so it helps here or in the states. So we build it. We build it in the way that you know it can be effectively used in both locations.
0: And would you move to other English-speaking nations? Are you looking at places like Australia, New Zealand, or is it very much the kind of two two prongs of the business?
1: For us, for, for as a business, uh, Australian news it would be very hard to manage. They're too far away. There's there's such a huge time difference. Between here and the other side of the world, and uh, and they're quite small in terms of uh, populace. And when you're looking, when your business is based around babies, you need there to be quite a few babies born. Uh, we we'd probably, if we we're going anywhere, we'd probably look into Europe, uh, you know, France or Germany or somewhere like that. You know, similar similar sort of size, population-wise, and near to us for, for for time zones. But they're not they're not on our radar for now. It's here in the states that we're concentrating on, which is uh, and it. it there's enough for, for a small business like ours there's enough to be going up for a very long time before we need to look anywhere else and I think that's one of those um those business lessons I've learned is to say you have to say no to lots of things there's always lots of opportunity do you want to do this do you want to do that I, I spoke to somebody who wants us to do it in uh in China should we go to China or well, no because it's just too far away and we're small and we can't manage it um we should we should concentrate on uh cracking the things we're good at here and cracking the things we're doing now rather than rather than trying to stretch ourselves too thin and and trying something but not trying it quite well enough
0: when I speak to founders, it's often the point when they're saying no to things because they can't manage that many different projects at once that they usually start thinking about raising investment. Is that something you've ever considered what what, what does that hold any attraction to you
1: a, a, a little you know we never say never we haven't today we, we might in the future, but at the moment we're we're quite we're quite keen on being in charge of our own ship and uh, and driving it where we want to so we we're probably we're probably not going to in the immediate future but we don't we we, we don't know
0: no that's that's a fair answer it you, you don't know until you know but it's just one of those things where you you kind of wonder at what point is, is it always enough to have to fund? Is it always enough to fund growth through cash flow?
1: I'm not sure it always is. It depends what you're doing, uh, and it depends how quickly you want to go at something too, and what, what, what the opportunity cost of not doing it is. But for, for some businesses, I think it's a, it, it's an absolute necessity um, to do it. If, otherwise, you're never, you're not you're not going to be able to get the scale where you need to get to, to be able to do that thing. But for other businesses, I think chasing you can spend an awful lot of time chasing money that you could be putting that time into your business. And especially when you're small, could you, be, could, could you spend that time in a better way than courting VCs in actually actually doing some business? Could you be doing more sales? Could you be doing some more marketing? Could you be developing some more code at that point that makes a difference? Rather than, rather than deciding that you need to chase somebody because you need two million quid or someone else's money in the bank. I, think, I, think, I don't think there's one right answer. But I think in a lot, a lot of cases, it's, it, it can be the, uh, that you're, you're chasing the wrong thing.
0: We're going to take a short break to hear from a Sage Accounting customer.
1: Hi, my name's Donna Hannaby and I'm the owner of Accru World Accounting Solutions, a modern digital practice based in County Durham in the northeast of England. My advice for getting year one in business right is to put good accounting systems and processes in place from the off. This will ensure you have access to real-time information and empower you to make informed decisions about your business. Nobody knows your business better than you do but reliable information can only be extracted from the records you keep. Without up-to-date financials, you're flying blind, and rubbish in equals rubbish out.
0: What great advice from Donna there. To find out more about Sage Accounting, go to sage.com. Now, back to the show. And Alec, one of the things I love about you is that you have been so honest about having failed ventures in the past. Can you talk to me about failure and and kind of getting things wrong and how that has contributed to making you a better entrepreneur?
1: I I think people glaze over this stuff too often. For me, it's working out if something works, you know, and what, what that means. And I think if I had my time again, I'd be very... I'd be very definite about what success looks like if I was starting something else. You know, success, and, and, and you just need to put, and it has to be metrics driven. You know, success means selling uh, 100 things, or I want to, in six months' time, I want to, I, I want to turn over £5,000 in a month, or whatever, whatever the thing is. Um, because otherwise, you get dragged into something, and it's very hard then for you to identify whether you've been successful or not. Because you, once, you're, once you're emotionally involved in a business... it's part of you. And you can't then, it's very hard to remove yourself and go, actually, this this thing's not working because it's you then. So what you need to do is before you start is say, actually, these are the things I need to achieve. Now, you don't need to be, you don't need to be pig-headed with the numbers. You don't need to say, I said I'd do five grand in revenue in a month and I've done 4,800. It's clearly rubbish. Um, You can be, you you can be, you can be slippy either side of that and say, well, actually, that's nearly 5K. That's fine. We can do that. But what you can't do in in that instance is turn over, turn over one grand and go actually it's working we go it's not because we set we set out six months ahead earlier what our what success looked like and if it doesn't look like this then there's nothing worse than wasting several years of your life pushed pushed into a venture that was never going to work because you were you you too short-sighted to see it yourself because you'd got involved in it and then you liked it and you always you always wanted to make it work whereas in reality people should should say actually it only works if it looks like this uh, and I think it's it's a tricky thing to do.
0: Did you do that though? Were you in the position where you felt like you'd wasted a lot of time on something that didn't work? A,
1: a bit, um and also I think I think I uh I, I had some slightly slightly harebrained schemes that I'm not convinced would have ever made money. I think you can get hooked up on. We have a thing called success bias. You only see, you, you know, if, if somebody asks you about the success, the uh, the Silicon Valley companies, you'll go like Google and Facebook and and these. You won't hear about the tens of thousands, tens of thousands that are out there that have. That I've gone completely wrong and I've hit the wall and I've never succeeded. Because so we think every time everyone sets up a business, it's going to be a success, when actually, most of the time when we set up a business, it's going to be a failure. So, and there's nothing wrong with it failing, it's just a learning exercise. There's something wrong with failing and not knowing it's failed that's that's the mistake that we shouldn't be making that's
0: great advice um, and Alec we touched on this earlier because we were talking about the scale of an online business and the fact that you've built in a lot of automation but i'd like to talk about that a little bit more so how you've kind of built in automation process even things like i don 't know do you use AI and machine learning and if so how, how did you do that how did you incorporate those into the business
1: i mean we, we, we've tried to be process driven from day one in the you know when we have this process of we will speak to a big brand customer and we've got to go from from seeing them to get to working with them to working out quite what they want to getting the thing onto our website to getting consumers to look at this thing that's on our website so we've got like there is a there is a process there uh, and we've kind of built it into software so you know it kind of enforces that a bit and then we we build it into like our sales crm systems that have to have a process through there um Going on, the, uh, the, the, we're just doing some AI and machine learning bits. What we're, we're trying to do is we're trying to work out how, both in email marketing and uh, uh, and the stuff on the website, is the, to show people the stuff they're interested in. Because that's at the end of the day, that's what you want. If you go to a website, you want to you want to see the things you're more more likely to read. If you go to you know if you go to like a news website and there's thousands of pieces of news. If it can have an inkling of what you want to do, and it can demonstrate, way, then then it makes sense. So say we could have, we, we know various bits about our consumers, so because they, they give us details. So we could say, uh, 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 we have a, we have a, con- a consumer who lives in Oxford, who uh, who likes red prams, who's got a baby this age. We could go actually, there's a there's like a cohort of people that look like this. You're much more likely to want to read this story. So let's show you this story first, and let's show you this 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 thing for more. From, you know for a bit a bit of user generated content that's all about what you'd want. Because we're we're helping you surface the right thing. And for us as a business, um, that, that can only be good because as well as surfacing content, we can surface adverts or we can surface things that are financially suitable for us based around based around modelling what consumers look like and what they want. It I, I, I think there's a there's a question there about it looking a bit creepy. You know, people people thinking you know it knows too much. But if you do it if you do it well, then people shouldn't notice. Your consumers shouldn't notice too much. They're just, they're just coming to their, their homepage, your homepage, if you came to my site. We're just doing this at the moment, so it's not live. It should be live Q, Q1 next year. But if you came to our website and I came to our website, we might see slightly different things. But that's fine because we're slightly different people. Um, uh, and the same in our email marketing software. So if i know what you you're interested in i can send an email to you that's more likely to be the things you're interested in so you're more likely to open it which is good for me but it's going to have the things you like in it which is good for you um, and it also means that we're not wasting time sending people stuff they don't want if we can see that you're unlikely to want something then i don't need to fill your inbox with it the, the average person gets i think it's about 121 emails a day um if we can cut that down so that we're just sending you, you know, we're sending you instead of sending you two a week, we're sending you one a week, but the one a week is much more relevant, then that's that's a good thing. And if we can use clever computer stuff to do that, then that's that's a good use of everyone's time.
0: And who's creating that tech? Are you building that? Or did you find an agency? I'm just trying to get a sense of whether it's an achievable aim for a very small business or whether you have to be a lot bigger.
1: I think it depends on your abilities and your team's abilities. We do it internally. I don't I don't touch the code anymore and haven't haven't for several years now, and I'm, I'm not sure my CTO would be particularly keen if I did. Um, though, though I did used to work for him; he was my boss in a previous in a previous life.
0: You hired your boss? That's cool. You have to tell us about that.
1: I worked the first version of our software. Then we had an agency write the second version. Then the third version we wanted to, we wanted to bring it in house, and we wanted to do this. And when, when you've worked as a developer for a long time, you've met an awful lot of developers, um, and I knew and i i I had a thought about who who could work and I, I thought this guy uh, and so I went off and had a conversation with him and it turns out exactly at the same time he was looking for work and it was it was just one of those fantastically coincidental situations where both sides are looking for the same thing and I hired him and because he used to be my boss, I knew he was fabulous, he was a good boss and he was a good he was good at his job technically and it was it, it it's like no need for interview you, you know how because when you're hiring people who are going to be senior in your organization, you want them to be they want you want them to be a really good cultural fit, and you want them to, to know you're going to get on with them and everyone's going to get on with them and If you've worked for somebody before, then you, you've answered most of those questions already. to go back to what you were saying about who does the software we do we've got a team of uh, a team of uh, four now in our in our tech in our tech department who are doing this um, uh, so could you do this if you're smaller? Yes, but you know uh, if if we were doing it ourselves, any one of those four people could do it. It would just be like it's slower if there's less people you know more 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 bodies generally make it slightly faster so i i think you can i think there's tools out there to do it and i think as we progress in 10 years time if we're having this conversation i think the sort of ai stuff will be much more much more easy to achieve and i suspect there'll be sort of no codey things around it that um completely non-technical people can use to some degree or other
0: um and alec you, you said earlier that you have 28 staff and that you kind of went for this bank from this background of sitting in a box and just coding on your own so i'd love to know how you became adept at recruiting because you've you mentioned that you hired your boss which obviously you know them inside out you've worked with them you've mentioned that you kind of looked on a car forum and found someone that way but what what's your process when you're trying to find great people
1: it's not we've not always got it right what we've found over the years um or, or where we are now is we, we have a slightly we have a slightly um longer process than we used to we we, we have short interviews with everyone who's who, who, you know we'll, we'll advertise a role um and we'll get a load of people apply and then we'll shortlist it down to eight or so or so and we'll have really short calls with those people like 15 20 minute calls uh with one of the senior team uh myself or one of or one of the other directors uh to try and get like a cultural fit on that person is the, do we feel this person can can we get on with them um do they seem like our sort of person nothing nothing technical nothing about their ability to do their role um just do they do they do i think they'll fit in because you've got to it's like a family you've got to try and get the people that that you're going to enjoy working with because you're, you're going to work with them a long, you're going to spend a long time with them each week and you're going to, you want to make sure that you're all on the same page about everything. Um, it's, it's hard, it's hard to identify cultural fit, which is why we kind of do it by, 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 feel, by, by people talking to them. Once we've done that, we then, uh, then we arrange like a, a longer, more formal interview, you know, the, 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 normal stuff. Tell me what you did for the last few years. How do you think that will apply to this? How do you, how, how would you, how would you do this? And then we um, and then we have some testing we do after that for anyone who's successful. And we give them some tests. Now we found, we found that some people won't do the tests. Well, if they're not willing to spend half an hour to an hour of their time while applying for a job, then they're not they're not coming to work for us, because they need to. If somebody's not willing to do that, then what else are they not going to be willing to do? You know, there's times where we we aim to be flexible with work, but there's times where you need to just stay a little bit longer. or, You, you know, there's there's a deadline or something has occurred, and if you're not willing to spend an hour and now we're doing some tests for an interview process for a job you think you want, then you're not probably not going to do those things either. So some of the process kind of weeds people out all by itself. Um, and we,
0: What's the test? Is it is it a personality test, or is it kind of... Ha- is it like a Myers-Briggs or something?
1: It's sort of a mixture of a personality test and skill-based things for the role they're doing. So developers get tested on coding, sales guys on on this, some of the marketing people on different things. So it's, it's different depending on the, the thing. And we don't... And it's not... We don't hire on the test. The test is just a way to compare people, a little bit, just to get something else out of them. Sometimes it doesn't work particularly well, but it gives you it gives you just a bit. The more information you've got on somebody, the better. Um, so we do that, and then after the test, we have a, we have like a we ask people the, the people who we want to see to come in again, uh, and we'll come in that that doesn't happen anymore. We're, a, we're a remote; it's a Zoom, uh, and we ask them to prepare a small presentation on what they do in their first usually first three months of the role, if they were left to the, their own devices. If, I, if we're hiring a, a, a marketing person, if we left you with the marketing for our, our business for the first three months, what, what would you do? How would you tackle this? And it's not, it's not something they're gonna do in their job because we're not gonna, we're not gonna put them in this actual scenario, but it, 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 it gets them to think a little bit about what they're doing and gives us, gives us a, an insight into their like problem solving and their, their structure. And it's not, again, it's not, it's, not, it's not an exam. It's not to get it right it's there's no right answer it's just so we see a little bit more about how that person works um and they could come up with the wrong answer and it's still be an absolutely fine interview and us hire them because because we can see how they've gone down it's like being able to it's like when your, your maths teacher made you do the workings at school and they and even if you got the answer wrong you could still get the marks on it because they could see how you just made one slight mistake on it and it's exactly like that because it's not it's not about getting the best mark it's about being able to think in a certain way
0: and that's genius as well because even if the person doesn't end up getting the job that's probably quite useful insight <laughs> into stuff that you could do at the business i know that sounds terribly cynical i'm a terribly cynical person but you know win-win
1: <laughs> we believe in hiring clever clever people and letting them get their shit done to be to be absolutely frank it uh, we, we don't we don't micromanage or we don't want to be on top of people we want to we want to hire the right people and let them go off and uh, and, and do their things now, I mean, that, that doesn't mean you get complete carte blanche because the world doesn't work that way. But I, I, I'm sick of, uh, in places I've worked, seeing people be well, with the boss over their shoulder, checking every last thing. And it doesn't, it doesn't make anyone comfortable and it doesn't, it doesn't provide better, uh, a better workplace. And not, nothing, nothing wins in that situation. You've got, to, you've, got to, you've got to be good with how you hire you, and then you've got to be good with how you treat people
0: great that's fabulous Alec you've been the most amazing guest I really feel like all these pearls of wisdom are just going to solve so many headaches for so many people you are fabulous thank you so much for your time you, you say
1: that to you say that to everyone Bex but it's good it, I'll take it
0: thank you so much for tuning in we would love for you to join our community and share your insights and stories Perhaps you would make a great future guest on Sound Advice. Let us know. And if you enjoyed this episode of Sound Advice, make sure you hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you like to listen to your podcasts. Please do leave us a review as that will help us keep improving the content we share. Remember, you can find the show notes and a huge amount of practical related content over at sage.com slash podcast. While you're there, make sure you subscribe to our Sage Advice newsletter. You can follow Alec on Twitter at Alec Dobby. He's posting loads of incredible content on how to start and grow a digital business. So make sure you have a read. For now, it's goodbye from me. We'll be back soon with more sound advice.